Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. I want to thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how to glorify and honor Him. got a special treat for you today. Brother Kurt Alford, one of the members of the Franklin Church of Christ, presented the following lesson back toward the beginning of 2006. I'm excited about it, and I hope it's beneficial to you. So open your Bibles, and let's learn how to honor and serve and glorify God together from His Word. If you would go ahead and be opening your Bibles to the Gospel of John, starting in the fourth chapter there. John chapter 4. It's a little bit of a lengthy reading, so you'll have to bear with me for a few moments. But I want to read the story of Jesus coming to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 5. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it, himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. (coughs) In the desert, and I'm sure this is not anything surprising or new, but water is extremely important. 
And it's not like today where we can go and we turn on the faucet and we not only get water, we get filtered water and it's been through the reverse osmosis system and it's been softened and, you know, you go to the store and you can buy it with flavors and no calories and no salt and it's just really easy to get. At this time, when Jesus was at the well, it was typical for the woman, it was her responsibility to get the water that they would need for the day. And typically, they would do that very early in the morning or late in the evening because if you lug a big jug of water... It's not something you want to do when it's really hot and the sun's being down. It's something you want to do when it's cool, a little bit easier to do. This woman came to the well about the sixth hour, it tells us. Not the middle of the day. It's hot. It's muggy. For some reason, she has avoided doing it early in the morning when all the other women are doing it. Probably because in verses 6, 17, and 18, we learn that she has had several husbands. She's with a guy now who's not her husband. She's probably not well thought of in the community. They probably laugh and make fun of her and kind of snide remarks behind her back. So she avoids those people by coming in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat, to get the water that she needs. Jesus comes up and talks to her, and she's first of all amazed that, one, a Jew is talking to her, two, it's a Jewish man, and three, it's a Jewish man who's not making fun of her. And she's surprised that he's talking to her. <coughs> Excuse me. And through this conversation she decides that he's the Messiah. And what happens next, I think, is very, very, very important. She drops her water pot. She leaves it. The whole reason for her being there at the middle of the day, in the hot part of the day, the whole reason that she has come here, she forgets. She decides there's something more important. She goes and she finds the men, probably the same men who have spent how many years making fun of her and deriding her and and chastising her, she goes and gets these men. And she says, look, look what I have found. I have found the Messiah. I found something more important than my pride at being talked down to. More important than how I feel after spending all these years being talked down to. More important than the water that I came to get. I have found the Messiah. And in verses 39 through 42, if you were to keep reading, you see that many of the Samaritans do believe because this woman found that Jesus was more important than all these other things. <laughs> and that's what I'd like to take a look at tonight. I'd like you to look at some of the water pots that we may have in our lives. Some of the things that may, keep, may be keeping us from following Jesus. The first thing I'd like to look at is our family. And don't get me wrong, family can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you turn a few pages back to the first chapter of John... And in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Family can be a great thing. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew said, this is the Messiah, I'm going to go get him. Andrew was a good brother. But in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 20, we learn that family is not always the greatest thing in the world. Chapter, sorry, verse 25 of chapter 20. We read that King Saul was sitting on his seat as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose and Abner by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? 
So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you, will, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food in the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out to the field at the time was appointed with David, and a little lad was with him, and he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows, came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything, only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said, Go, carry them to the city. Now as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Saul's king. Saul has this king, and then he can pass on to Jonathan. Jonathan had more to lose than any one of us here. I don't know about you, but my dad's not leaving me a kingdom. My dad's not leaving the ultimate power of a whole bunch of people. My dad can't up and kill me at his own will just because he's mad at me, like Saul can kill Jonathan. Jonathan had a lot more to lose by disobeying his father. But he did, because he knew that Saul had no right to be angry with David. He knew that David was God's anointed. And he knew that by disobeying Saul, he was obeying God. <coughs> Jonathan found something that was more important than family. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. In the early days of the church... Ananias and Sapphira, and we all know this story. Ananias and Sapphira sold some land in order to help the church. But a certain man named Ananias, in verse 1, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. 
The young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. They conspired together. They decided together. Neither one of them stood up to the other one and said, you know what? Lying is wrong. And we know lying is wrong. Instead, they conspired together to lie to God and paid the ultimate price. <coughs> In John chapter 7 and verse 1 through 5, I've always been amazed at this scripture. Because we read in the scripture that Jesus' own family didn't even believe that he was the Christ. In verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. He did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, you show, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. You know, when Jesus says there's something more important than family, he's not doing anything that he hasn't given up himself. That short passage, and I don't know if you catch it, but that passage, his brothers tried to convince him to go down to Judea because they knew the Jews wanted to kill him. Jesus' brothers were trying to get him killed. And I know I've had fights with my family, but they've never tried to get me killed. Not that I know of anyway. Jesus is not asking you and I to do anything that he has not done himself. We have never had to give up a kingdom. We have never been under threat of death from our family. You know, we don't have parents that can throw a spear at us and kill us with impunity. When Jesus says there's something more important than our family, and our family is not a good excuse to not follow the will of God, he knows what he's talking about. In Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus' answer to family, to family that tries to impede us, or family that tries to stop us from obeying God. Chapter 12 and verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. The same brothers who just, we just read a few moments before tried to have him killed. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus tells us, this is our family. These are the people that truly care about us. Jesus gave up all these things because he knew that he had some people that he could depend on more than he could depend on his family. Just like you and I have people that we can depend on greater than our earthly family. That is our spiritual family. There's the people around us that know that salvation comes from obeying Jesus. They believe the same way we do, that only by obeying Jesus can we go to heaven. And that if our earthly family, for whatever reason, decides to disagree with us, decides that we're crazy, decides to, to dissuade us from that, from that obedience, we know that there is a family that is closer. We know that there's somebody who stays closer than a brother. And we have that in each other. We have that in the Lord. And that is the answer that Jesus gives us when we say, you know, I would come to church, but my family wants me to stay home. I'll tell you a story. There's a, when I was going to college, and this story has always sticked with me. When I was in college in Bowling Green, just an hour away from here, there was this really sweet woman 
who uh, attended services. There were quite a number of older ladies, but there was this one woman. Her name was Norma Jean. She's a really sweet woman, very nice. Always had something kind to say. And I never knew this, so I'd been going there for a year or two. Uh, but she lived in constant fear. Her husband had no problem hitting her. Her, problem, her husband had no problem beating her. And I never knew this. She never talked about it. She was always at services. But that woman made so many sacrifices. She would give up, literally, she would stay locked inside her house all day Saturday so that her husband would not be angry and she could go to church on Sunday. That is how that woman lived until her husband died. That woman learned to work around her family. She had no reason for leaving her husband, and she knew that. And she learned that there's something more important than her husband. She did not let her husband stop her from going to services, even though, had she said, I can't come out tonight because I will get beaten, I don't think anybody would have questioned her on it. And she still came to services Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And she still worked very hard to encourage people. And she did everything that she could, giving up her own personal life, giving up her free time to do that. There is no reason to allow our family to interfere with our obedience to God. And hopefully, if we're living the way that we should and we're doing the things we can, we will be able to bring some of that family with us. The next thing I'd like to look at is our wealth, our money. You know, money is a necessary thing in today's society. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 6, in verse 10 of his first letter to Timothy, that money, or the love of money, is the root of all evil. So loving money is the root of all kinds of evil, but we understand that money is necessary. In Mark chapter 10, we read the story of a man for which money had gone way beyond necessary. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at this word when he went away, for he had great possessions. You can see this man coming up to Jesus saying, you know, what do I have to do? You know, I've heard these things you've got to say, and, and you're saying a lot of good things, and I know that you can tell me how I can be saved. How do I do it? And Jesus says, well, you know, you don't murder, you don't steal, don't commit adultery. And you can see the man going, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I've done that. I'm good. And Jesus says, that's good that you did that, but you have a problem. Your money, your wealth, your possessions, your money is more important to you than I am. He didn't say that having the money was wrong. What he says is, you need to get rid of your money because it's more important. And you can see that in the man's reaction. The man went away very sad. Because he, he didn't want to give up his wealth. He liked 
having his money. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge? Who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to him, to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This guy was blessed. This rich young ruler, as the little note in the margin calls him, the rich young ruler was blessed with a lot of wealth. He had huge amounts of food, more than he could possibly need. And he said, okay, I'm good. I'm going to keep all this for myself. I'll be set for years. And Jesus says, you're foolish for laying up for yourself treasure on the earth. You are foolish. In Luke chapter 16, verse 20, a few pages over, it's the story of Lazarus. In verse 20, there's a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of source, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this thorn. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Lazarus received evil things. The rich man didn't bother to help Lazarus. He saw Lazarus, certainly, laying there at the gate, but he didn't help him. Kept his money for himself. He loved his money more than doing something right. Doing something merciful. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6 and verse 19 and 20, 21, we read what Jesus' answer is when we say, you know... I just like being rich, and I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize that. I don't want to stop drinking, because I know at these social drinking parties, I can make good contacts, and I get some good business contacts, and I like that money. Or, you know what, I want to, I want to keep doing that kind of shady accounting that I like doing. Jesus says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. There is something more important than having that income, that six-figure income or that Mercedes or whatever it is that you're allowing to come between you and obedience to God. Jesus says, money is not something you should let come between us. Fun. I'm having too much fun. You know, we, we enjoy life. And there are things in life that we just have a good time doing. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, Solomon tells us, you know, you work hard, you should enjoy it. But sometimes we allow fun to come between us and our service to God. We don't want to obey God because, you know what, I just, I enjoy sleeping late on Sundays. I enjoy my Sunday golf games. I enjoy staying home and watching the Super Bowl and the halftime commercials. In the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon, who's the king of Israel, a man whose wealth was so well known that other kings and queens came from abroad to see him because he was so renowned, spent some of his time looking for fun. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I will test you with mirth, pleasure. Solomon spent time trying to find meaning in life by partying. That's exactly what he did. He said, I can have a fulfilled life partying. But in verse 2 he says, I said of laughter, it is madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? The King Solomon who could, who could spend as much money as he wanted throwing the biggest, grandest parties said, it is madness. In verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom, how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. And it's all vanity, grasping after the wind. Pointless. In Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus tells us of a son who decided to go and party. If you will, he went off to college and joined a fraternity and started going to frat parties. He says in verse 11, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This is a guy that took his money. It was free money. Got his inheritance. Went and decided to party. Wasted it 
because partying doesn't bring anything, and ended up so hungry he wanted to eat pig slop. Y'all ever seen what pigs eat? Ain't pretty. That's how hungry he was. That's how low he sunk because he made his priority partying. Similar to the story of the ants and the grasshoppers, that little Aesop fable, where the ants work hard and get the reward, and the grasshopper spends all summer having fun and playing his little fiddle, ends up in the winter freezing to death out in the snow. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30, Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mentioned before, we're not asked to do anything that Jesus hasn't done himself. We're not asked to give up anything that Jesus himself hasn't done without. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, one of my favorite passages. God, through Isaiah, tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. To put that in a little more, maybe a little better terms that we can understand, God's telling us, I know more than you do. Shut up and listen to me. Because I know something you don't know. And you don't know at all. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right unto man, but it ends in death. But it ends in death. And so will our way end in death when we allow something like having fun or enjoying life to come before our service to God. One final thing I'd like to look at is our fear of failure. How many times do we just not do something because we know we can't? I've been guilty of that. And there's something, you know, okay, you know, you'd really like to learn how to do it, but you know you're going to, you know, at the beginning, you're really going to embarrass yourself and you're going to do a really bad job. You just don't do it because you don't, don't want anyone laughing at you. Or we say, you know, I will never make it as a Christian. There are so many things you have to do and so many things you can't do. And so many things to remember. There's no way I'll ever make it, so why bother trying? In Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking out on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said to him, Come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith. Can you imagine how Peter felt? The Son of God just said he didn't have any faith. O you of little faith. Can you imagine how that would make you feel? You think it's bad when you were a kid and your dad said, I'm disappointed in you. Can you imagine how bad Peter felt right now? Turn a few pages over to chapter 16 of Matthew. 
and verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him aside and, said, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should not happen to you. And he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Again, Peter's being told, he's being called Satan. He's being told he's offensive. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What am I doing? What I am doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said, You will never wash my feet. Jesus said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In John chapter 18, in verse 4 through 11, Jesus corrects Peter for using force during his arrest. Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Peter denied Jesus not once, not, oops, not twice, but three times, cussing and swearing, saying, I don't know who Jesus is. In Luke chapter 24, Peter was among the 11 disciples who didn't even believe that Jesus had come back from the dead, even after people had seen him. And even after the Holy Spirit came, to, came upon him on the day of Pentecost, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul had to publicly correct Peter because he was playing the Jew with the Jews and the, the Gentiles with the Gentiles, and he was being a hypocrite. If anybody had a fear of failure, it had to be Peter. You know, I don't know how I'd feel if Jesus came up to me and said, you know what? You offend me. If Jesus came up to me and was so disappointed and angry with me, he called me Satan. I don't know how I'd feel. I don't know how I'd be ever, ever be able to look at him, look at Jesus in the face again. And yet somehow Peter did it. And somehow Peter kept going. And somehow Peter, through all of his failures, was able to go and to spread God's word to the people around him. If anybody had a right to be afraid of failing, it was Peter. And yet Peter kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaches that we forgive as often as somebody asks it of us. When people say, I'm sorry, we forgive them. And in 1 John, the first chapter in verse 9, John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is just to forgive us. That a fear of failure is absolutely no reason to say, I'm not going to serve God. 
I am not going to obey the things that I know that are written for me to obey. Because if we confess our sins, Jesus will forgive us. As often as we fail, He is there to forgive us. And He will do that. That is not an excuse. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending the nets. And he called, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They had found something more important. They followed Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Jesus tells us a parable of a pearl of great price. A pearl so great and so wonderful that it is worth selling everything you own to get it because you know it is so great and so wonderful. That, my friends, is heaven. It is so great and so wonderful. It is worth anything you could give up, anything you have to lose, any persecution you have to suffer, any embarrassment you may face, anything is worth getting to heaven. So the question I leave you with tonight, what is your water pot? What is it that is holding you back from obedience to God? What is it that is stopping you from serving God? Jesus has not asked us to do anything he himself has not done. And we have no excuse allowing something on this earth to hold us back from that pearl, that pearl of great price. If you have something in your life that is holding you back, if you have something that is stopping you from doing what you know you should, you are one day going to hear those words, you fool. We read them earlier. You fool. You have allowed something to come between you and that pearl. We want to help you with that. We ask that you please, as we sing this song, please come down and let us help you. Let us, and together we will go after that pearl. As Phil leads us in the invitation song. I hope this lesson presented by Brother Kurt Alford has been beneficial to you. If you have any questions about this lesson, about the Franklin Church of Christ, or about how to serve and honor and glorify God, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody gave you this lesson on CD or audio tape. If that's the case, allow me to encourage you to go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in outline and audio format. You are free to download them and use them in whatever way you believe will glorify God and help others overcome the tempter. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.